can uh, find First Chronicles real quick. First Chronicles chapter 12, if you have your notes. We are in lesson four in our uh, school of, of ministry. So um, we're dealing with what I think is one of the most important lessons um, that we may have. I think every lesson is important, but there are some that I think just underscore some important points. And um, let me just tell you the background of this lesson. I, you know, I've told you before that a lot of the things that I'm instructing in school of ministry, I'd always waited for years for people to come be a guest speaker, guest teacher, and teach it, and it just never happened because there were certain things that just seemed uh, funny for me to teach. And um, I just decided really a few years ago, a couple years ago, that I can't wait for the guest teacher with the white hat to come over the mountain and, and do what just is biblical precept anyway. And so I'm going to teach something, and I'm going to believe that you understand uh, my motives and uh, I'll understand all your motives, and together we'll be obedient, and hopefully this can be great instruction that will literally set you free and open up doors for you. But in First Chronicles chapter 12, uh, verse 38, it's talking about David. It was during his time at the caves of Adullam, and it says very simply, all these men of war, or all these folks that came to participate with him in the battles, it says, who could keep rank came to Hebron with a loyal heart. The old King James Version, I believe, says with a perfect heart. Uh, but the word perfection doesn't mean errorless. It just meant in this context, loyal. There was something in their heart that made them loyal. It says to make David king over all Israel and all the rest of Israel were of one mind to make David king. Now, again, turn back to 1 Kings uh, chapter 2. And unfortunately, when it comes to Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, they sort of overlap each other. And if you want to understand timetables, you sometimes have to get a harmony to get a hold of it. But in 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we now find David at the end of his reign. He's coming to the conclusion of his kingdom with all the things that we know and you've heard through the years that have taken place. But these are some interesting passages here. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die, and he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may fulfill his word which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now we get to the interesting passage. Verse 5, Moreover, you know also what Joab, the son of Zeruah, did to me, and what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed, and he shed the blood of war in peacetime. And put the blood of war on his belt that was around his waist and on his sandals and that were on his feet. Therefore, do according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to the grave in peace. Everybody say, ouch. Yeah, man, ouch. Well, let's talk about all this. We're talking about a culture of allegiance. Now, the message I'm going to talk about tonight, as I've written in the notes, is really foreign in our Western culture. 
But in Bible times, you have to understand there were certain things that were really normal that we don't understand because of our culture. The Bible tells us, especially in that last passage that I read to you, that Solomon is about ready to take the throne and the leadership of the nation of Israel and his dad remind him of several incidents that underscore to Solomon that the kingdom functions with a culture of allegiance. You see, in those days, and most of you would know this, uh, when administrations or when kings were overthrown or there was a change in whoever it was that was to give rulership, it was not uncommon for the incoming administration to kill off, you know, the, the preceding administration or remaining administration. Uh, that's how they did things. The reason they did that was they wanted to take away the bloodline. They did not want to challenge later on uh, down the road that could potentially challenge uh, that king or the king's lineage to uh, their claim to uh, rulership. Um, you know, we also know that uh, in Middle Eastern mentality, you know, some things never go away. That's why to this day, Jews and Arabs fight. I mean, they're still fighting over issues that are thousands of years old. And it's because of this issue of, of generational transmission and, and transfer. And so even in Bible times, this would happen. And that is why Mephibosheth, you may not remember the story. I don't have time to tell it. But Mephibosheth was one of the sons of Saul who remained after the wars that was able to beeline it out of Jerusalem uh, through his uh, servant Ziba, or Ziba, however you want to pronounce that. And um, the reason he did that was because he was fearful that as David would come into his reign, that he would be executed. And he had every right to think and to feel that way. But if you recall the story, that was the one where David said, is there anyone that I might show uh, the kindness of the Lord to through the house of Saul? And somebody said, well, there is Mephibosheth. And, and he called Mephibosheth into his house. And, and Mephibosheth was scared and he dropped his head and he said, what have you to do with a dead dog like me? And David basically said, arise, sit at my table, and you'll be honored the rest of your life. And so that story was a very uh, uh, wonderful story about the grace of King David toward these enemies who, in those days, it would have been protocol to kill and to just, just take out. So, so we, we, we see pictures of that type of grace all through the Scriptures. But the issue was, when it came to uh, David's administration transferring to Solomon, uh, David didn't always handle everything after that so well. And so he begins to give his son Solomon some insight. Now, these things rarely get taught, but it's an important precept. You see, not everyone who had been in David's administration had been loyal to David. Now, they may have started out loyal, but somewhere along the way, in fact, Joab was his right-hand guy, really his armor bearer. But, but somewhere along the way, he started not liking what David was doing. He didn't think David always did it right. And, and something changed in his heart. And Joab began to do things that were out of the purview of what the king would have wanted to happen. And so David, uh, in order to not pass on a problem, gets Solomon off to the side. And he begins to, I, I know this may sound weird to us, but basically he says to Solomon, you need to eliminate this guy. This guy needs to go. He's done some things, and it's going to be a problem for you if you don't deal with this. Now, I'm going to share some things here. Disloyalty. Disloyalty is the invisible, silent, and often unnoticed decision by somebody close to you to participate in your downfall. 
Let me just tell you, disloyalty is the worst enemy you will ever have to face in all of your life. And all of us have faced it at some level or another. Unfortunately, some of you have been through divorces and you know what that feels like to have had a spouse be disloyal to you. And you know the pain of that and the heartache of that. Some of you have experienced that in the business world. Some of you have experienced that even within your own family trees. Disloyalty. Now, I don't know that anything hurts worse than betrayal. That's why even in issues of national importance, if you're caught spying, uh, how many of you realize spies are not treated lightly? I mean, that's considered treason, and treason is considered the death penalty, even though you may not have shot anybody yourself or killed anyone yourself. Nations know that these sorts of things cannot be dealt with lightly. Treason is not merely a character flaw, but it's the absence of character. It's a purposeful decision to use the information they have to destroy their own nation. And so Solomon had watched his father, as well as all the sons of David, had watched their father make all sorts of mistakes, particularly towards the end of his lifetime. And one of the things that David, he was great in a lot of areas, but one of his weaknesses was the fact that he tolerated disloyalty. And if you read through beginning with 1 Kings chapter 2, there's some interesting things that, that uh, we, we rarely hear about in our modern day culture. It's the account of Solomon's dealing with the issues of allegiance and disloyalty. I just want to just go through here real quick. You'll recall Absalom was the son of David. Um, he envied all that his father had. I told you before, we'll come back to Absalom at a different time, but he would stand by the gate as people would enter and he would poison. He would just put little drops of poison in the people as they would come in to receive judgment from uh, one of David's uh, right-hand people, from a judge or from even the king himself. Absalom would just put a little poison out there saying, oh, if, you, if I were the king and you came to me, now I'd give you justice. I'd, 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 I'd handle this better than uh, how it's being handled. And all of these types of things were being sowed into the citizens of Israel. He sowed uncertainty. He sowed doubt. He sowed a discord by insinuating that David, you know, David's just too busy to really care about you. He doesn't really care about your difficulties. He doesn't care about your tears. And as he's sowing this, what the Bible says is that he begins to steal the hearts of the people. And uh, in fact, one of the most vile acts became his habit, and that was, and many people don't hear this either, is that Absalom literally began to sleep with his father's concubines. Now, that in and of itself is despicable, but what that says is, is that he's, he's really moving in on the king's territory. So Absalom didn't have any character. Um, David permitted this. David knew what was going on. In fact, people came to David and said, this is what's going on, and David never dealt with it. And so Solomon watched all of this happen. He saw the kingdom torn apart because of David's tolerance of wrong people. He watched how General Joab, who was at one time David's uh, armor bearer, defied David's instruction by killing Absalom. In fact, David said, don't kill Absalom. But Joab went ahead and did it anyway because he thought he knew better than the king. And so there was all sorts of disrespect that was going on and all sorts of betrayal that took place even in David's life. Now, Again, betrayal and disloyalty are going to be the greatest hurts you will ever face in your life. And again, I could point out to all kinds of things Solomon did wrong. I told you last time, Solomon had 300 wives. He had 800 concubines. And I think it is not over the top to say he had a sexual addiction. I mean, he had a problem, a major, major problem. But even though... Even though this area may have been allowed for kings, 
Maybe this area may have been permissible in the culture with which they were working with at that time. Solomon, Solomon was interesting because, you know, Solomon was also called the wisest man. You know, I've often wondered when you have 300 and 800, if that was, is that a justifiable label that you can give him? But the reason he was wise is because he understood how to manage and swiftly work with these issues of loyalty. And so let's let's go through this and, and I'm going to move fast, but it's all in front of you. So you should be able to listen fast. If I were to ask the question of most people in or out of the church, would you consider yourself a loyal person? You would be amazed at statistically how yes would be in the upper percentile. I mean, who, who would who would say that they are a disloyal? person. Nobody would say, nope, not me, man. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a disloyal person. And think about it. Who has named their children Absalom? Nobody. No, nobody ever names their kids Judas. Why is that? Well, it's because there's a stigma that has come to these people and they don't want to be associated with that. And yet our society is full of examples that we really aren't as good as we think we are with the issues of loyalty. Isn't it interesting that four out of seven couples divorce, whether you're in or out of the church? Now, wouldn't you think that says something about loyalty? Companies lay off longtime employees to save dollars in salary or pension. And, and so we know they do that. We know that, that there are raiders and, and, and they let people go and they raid their their pension funds, and that's not right. It's, it's disloyal. People who've worked places for 30, 40 years suddenly find themselves out in the cold. At the same time, I could also tell you that employees will quit their jobs in order to receive 50 cents more an hour and give them two days' notice, their employer two days' notice. That doesn't seem quite fair either. Sports management and players will move teams or cities in a heartbeat. I mean, think about it for just a minute. If we were to ask people, do you consider yourself to be a loyal person? I would be willing, if I were a betting man, to say that most people would say yes. But yet it's interesting how easy it is to begin to rattle off illustrations and anecdotal stories of disloyalty. The reason local churches in the body of Christ at large never take cities, states, regions, or nations is because we refuse to understand the power of allegiance when it is righteous. Can I just tell you that Satan may be a defeated enemy, but he's not a stupid enemy. I mean, he's, he's, he's you know, uh, able to be dealt with, with the power of Jesus and in the power of the Spirit. He can be dealt with, but he's not stupid. He knows, Matthew 12, 25, that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. So, as I began to work through all of this and think through all of this, I asked myself the question, how can you be loyal if you were never taught what that means? I mean, we use terms and, and we want to believe that for ourselves, but if we've never been taught that, then you know what we do? We make up our own rules. And, and so that's what I wanted to talk about. We tend to redefine words and concepts to fit our preference rather than change who we are and what we're doing. So in other words, we'll use words that will redefine in order to make us feel better about ourselves without having to deal with what really might be wrong in our life. I often laugh because in the political realm, those of you that may be political junkies and watch cable news, it's interesting because they're always hollering at each other. And, and when, whoever is in power, the other party is always considered to be what they call what? The loyal opposition. Now, I thought to myself, what does that mean? The loyal opposition. Well, 
Let's talk about that. The loyal opposition can undermine, backbite, gossip, lie, criticize, slander, betray, and murmur. Is that not true? Doesn't matter who's in power. I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. You may like Obama. You may hate him. You may like George Bush. You may have hated him. But I'm telling you, the street cuts two directions. And everybody says they're the loyal opposition. Now, I'm trying to figure out what they're loyal to. But they just say they're loyal to feel good about it. Now, unfortunately, that issue, along with others, is causing America to lose its greatness. We are a nation that has that has divided itself between two opinions. And let's be candid. It's why few businesses survive. And it's why churches struggle all over the world. I put down here, loyalty is closely synonymous with faithful. But here's the difference. Faithful is what you do. Loyalty is who you are. That's very important. It's kind of like obedience and submission. Obedience is what you do, but submission is what your heart is. Faithful is what you do. Loyalty is who you are, and both are necessary. Now, there's always going to be flawed people in our lives. Nobody performs 100% of the time perfectly. But how many of you know that we're on a journey, and the Lord expects us to be transformed through His Word and through His precept and through His presence? And so while we may have flaws, we still have to get before the Lord in order to have him work on all of these areas. Now, let's talk about its purposes. In the church, our allegiance goes first to Christ and his kingdom. That's our first allegiance. I, I will, that, when we get to the authority lessons and we begin teaching that, obviously direct authority and direct allegiance are number one in all of our lives. Christ and his kingdom. And... Uh, you know, when his word speaks something, his word is the rule. It is the measuring stick for everything we, we do. And uh, even though there is an appropriate place for all authority in Acts 5.29, even the disciples, when they were told by authority that they could no longer preach and teach in the name of Jesus, they said we must obey God rather than man. And so these are appropriate lines of allegiance and loyalty. However, in much the same way, there is both direct authority which is God himself ruling and directing over my life. And as we'll learn a little bit later, there's delegated authority, which is God working through men and women who are over us in the Lord. There's also direct loyalty to God. And then there's delegated loyalty. Direct loyalty is our allegiance to obey and honor God and him alone. Delegated loyalty is our allegiance to obey and honor God as that is expressed through his delegated servant. Now, let's talk about this. Let's talk about the purpose of allegiance. The purpose of allegiance. Now, you can apply this in many areas, and believe me, we're going to get back to life in the kingdom as it's expressed through the local church here in just a minute. But let's just talk about allegiance, and you can apply this to a lot of areas of life. Number one, it's the principal qualifying aspect for every leader. It's loyalty. I mean, think about this. Would you marry someone who you thought would betray you? I don't think you would. Would you hire them for your business? Would you, would you hire someone, especially if you were in a sensitive business that you knew that would get into your computer files and steal sensitive materials and disseminate that? Would you, knowing that, would you hire them? Talk to me. No, I don't, I, I, no, that would be silly to do that. See, loyalty, loyalty has an appropriate place in all different aspects of our life. Loyalty qualifies for covenant and relationship. I already read to you that David's army consisted of men who were of perfect heart or loyal heart. 
And uh, when some went to Saul, they were said to defect. And we all know the word defect isn't good. It doesn't mean you have a defect. You may have a defect, but the enunciation is defect. They defected towards the enemy. And so it's the principal qualification for every leadership, really every relationship, is loyalty. Number two, I believe loyalty is important to wage spiritual war effectively. Because you can't go to battle with someone you can't count on. Can you imagine going into battle not knowing, especially in those days, who you were linking up with wasn't going to turn tail and run at the first sign of heat? You, didn't, you wouldn't want to link up and put your shield in that guy's shield and go to battle with someone like that. You want to be able to count on them. In fact, uh, military people use a term that's called the fifth column. Basically, the fifth column is when you plant somebody in the middle of a nation in order that they can act or function as a spy. I put the name Benedict Arnold. We all have heard of the name Benedict Arnold, who was, who was so to speak, a, a, an officer in the American colonial army, but yet he was disseminating information to the British. And to this day, Benedict Arnold is not a name. I mean, none of us would call our children Benedict Arnold Baird. I mean, that just isn't going to, that isn't going to happen either. Because you don't want duplicity. I mean, you don't, you want someone you can count on. Number three, if you're going to release important areas, you want to be sure allegiance is there. You need to have confidence as a leader that those under you will be diligent to follow the plan and purposes that are outlined for them. Why would you entrust important things to disloyal people? Well, the truth is you just wouldn't. Number four, allegiance expands your influence through a team. I personally think it's better to work alone than to work through the disgruntles or division. You know, there, you know, life's too short. I've decided that life's way too short. And if pe certain people produce so much stress in my life, then you know what I'm going to do? I just, those, those, they're not worth that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not that we don't love people and we don't reach out and work with them and love them and help them and teach them and bring them along and spend incredible hours. But there comes a moment that if they just choose to be disgruntled, well, just enjoy life. Because, because life's too short and there are too many others who you could be investing your time in who want what you have, Right? I mean, why would you spend your time with someone who's not sure? They're always questioning you. They're whining. They're disgruntled. I mean, why spend your time with that when you have people over here going, teach me, help me. I, I, I'll, I'll listen. Who would, who would you impart to? Well, obviously you would speak to the ones that were hungry for it. David wanted to make sure all was in order before handing the kingdom to Solomon. I believe that develop a large cohesive ministry to impact cities and regions. You're going to have to find a sense of loyalty. And I also believe loyalty is a part of longevity. Marriages that last a long time, I will guarantee you, one of the foundations of that is loyalty. It, it, it's just pure, simple loyalty. Ministries that have and last a long time have loyalty. And then allegiance, I believe, reaps a full reward. Now, I'm moving quickly because it's the second, this, this next page that has a lot of things I'm going to dwell on, so I know I'm moving rapidly. But the world doesn't understand loyalty and allegiance. In 2 Timothy 3.1, Paul writes this. He says that in last days, exceedingly fierce times will come. He says this to Timothy. And he goes through this long list. Men will be lovers of themselves, covetous, boastful, proud, blasphemers, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. I mean, he goes through this, this great list of all sorts of things that are going to be 
um, attributes of the last days. One of those attributes, depending on, again, what version you read, it'll either say truce breakers or covenant breakers. Covenant breakers. And so in last days, and if we believe we're in last days, and when we were teaching on 2012, the end of the age, everybody that gathered here, and we had great crowds to listen about last days. There were great crowds that gathered um, because we believe we're in last days. And so I think it's important that you understand that one of the characteristics or hallmark of, of last days is, is that people, people's loyalties will not see them through. There will be covenant breakers. And they'll break covenant in their relationships. Now listen, some covenants, God, because I know some of you have divorced backgrounds. Listen to me carefully. Sometimes you're an innocent party. And if you're an innocent party, you can't help that. They're covenant breakers. You're an innocent party. They were disloyal to you. They wanted out of it. And there's nothing you can do. And, and, and here you are. You didn't ask for it. You didn't sign up for it. You don't want it. It happened. All right. So so don't fall under any condemnation for some of you. Maybe your testimony is, well, to be candid with you, I don't know that I was faithful. Well, here's the good news. The good news is you can repent, come to the cross, be cleansed by the blood and arise and, and, and make it different. Don't don't be the world. That's what redemption is. Redemption isn't saying it can never be different. Redemption is the cross can make you different. OK, so so. That's the good news. But there will be those who will break covenant. And, uh, and so the opposite of that would be that there will be those that will learn to keep covenant. And covenant means that there's a knitting or a tying. Now, obviously, the, the, the most important covenant is this covenant, the vertical one with God. I'm in covenant with the Lord. I mean, I, I mean that's my first loyalty. You know, my, my, some of my other higher loyalties are the ones to my wife and my family. These are covenants. Um, I have a covenant. I believe I have a covenant with you. I had an opportunity a few years ago. I've already told the story. Won't go into it again. But I was, I was just, I, you know what? I was just ready to go on. I, just, I was discouraged and, and defeated, and I was ready to go on. And you know what? The word of the Lord came back to me, and I believe I have a covenant with legacy. You may not like me, but I'm here. All right. I'm covenant. I'm going to, you know, I, I grew up in the Midwest, but I, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I've learned never to say never. So I mean, I'm, I'm Lord, I'm not saying I, I'm never, but I'm just telling you so far as I know, I'll be buried in this city. So far as I know at this point, I think that you got to consider your covenants and, and, and where it is that you're making your, your linking up, because I'll just, I'll just tell you something. We are living in the era of free agency. It doesn't just mean in the sports leagues, because how many of you remember growing up, especially like watching baseball teams? And I remember the Chicago Cubs in the 60s, 68, 69, 70. I can tell you this day, I can take you through the infield. Ferguson Jenkins is pitching. Randy Huntley's catching. Ernie Banks on first base. Glenn Becker, Don Kessinger, Ron Sano, Billy Williams, Al Spangler. See, I can still remember Leo DeRocher was the manager. And the Cubs, the Cubs banner cry was next year. Next year. And every year you knew what was coming because these guys were loyal. I grew up in Kansas City watching the Royals. I could almost go through their lineup too. You know, George Brett and Frank White and John Mayberry. And I, you know, I, how come I remember all these guys? Because I, I can't tell you this lineup of one major league baseball team today. You know why? It's because as soon as they can get more money and they get into free agency, they're gone. 
And we live in an era of free agency. Sure we do. The minute, the minute I'm married and the minute, the minute the woman that I'm married to isn't as sharp or tight or whatever it is I'm looking for as the new model that's coming out, I'm a free agent. That's how they're acting. Are you following me? It's the era of free agency. What are you going to pay me? What are you going to do for me? What, 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 what do I get? Here's how it works in the church. Pastor, if I come here, what are you going to let me do? Well, I got a toilet back there. How about that? I'm a free agent. See, I'm, a free, I'm, I'm going for the highest bidder. See, we're just crazy. And, and, and it's bled into the church, and we've lost some kingdom concept of like, the first shall be. Oh my goodness. And if you're going to go to the front of the, if you want to be at the front of the line, you go to the, uh, so you're getting it. All right. It's a kingdom trait. So the question is, how do you know? This is the part. How, how do you know? How do you define this? I mean, we say we are, but how do you know if you really are? It isn't as easy as you think. I always look at Jesus. Jesus got to pick his 12. This is Jesus. He got to pick the guys he wanted to invest in. I'm smiling because you know where I'm going with this. Peter. Oh, yeah. Three years with Peter and he's still swearing at the campfire. <laughs> Judas lets him handle the money. And he ends up getting his heart twisted and betrays him. I mean, let's go James and John. They're vying over who's going to sit in Jesus' very own seat. Drags mom into it. Can't even keep it between themselves. They've got to drag their mom into the discussion as well. Do I have to go on? Thomas, three years with Jesus. Thomas, I don't even know. I don't even know who. Jesus who? Can I go down the list? This is not as easy. It, 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 actually, that helps me at times. Because it's not easy. I mean, Jesus was investing in imperfect people. I mean, they weren't perfect people. Trying to make fun of them. I'm just saying they just they weren't perfect people. So if Jesus had trouble, there's gonna be there's gonna be relational issues that are gonna that are gonna come up. And what about the relationships that we begin to develop? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you something here because because you know you don't want to hear you you don't want to hear all my stories, but I'm just gonna tell you I've been I've been pastoring long enough to tell you this. I, I've reached the place where I I've seen I do well. I won't say I've seen it all, <laughs> but I've seen a lot. All right. And there just comes a point when you stop reading lips and you start reading footprints. People can tell you lots of things. I don't care about what you say. I don't even care your intention of your heart. I want to see what's how you're walking this. There comes a moment. That's what that's what speaks to us. OK, so these are some things that the Lord spoke to me about, and uh, I believe they're scriptural. And they're important, just as we talk about who we're going to link up with. And again, this is about maturity, but some of you are aspiring to potential ministry spots or, or leadership spots in the future. Um, and we want you. You know what? I believe legacy has a destiny, and we're going to affect just incredible numbers of people. And these are the days when we're forging in our adulum those people who will be able to rule in a kingdom. Now, we think a doulum was about a week in David's life. A doulum was a decade or so. So you got to keep some things in context. But the Lord spoke to me some things about what I believe to be a loyal person. Now, again, I think you're going to be able to make application at various levels 
You know, your, 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 your marriage, your, your friendships maybe, maybe some in business, certainly in the church. But let me just share this with you. Number one, this is, this is what I believe the Lord showed me. Number one, a loyal person will not be neutral when crisis hits. They won't be neutral. There is a proper place of keeping your nose out of another person's fight or another person's fuss. I, I, I don't believe we're to stick our nose in everybody's business. I, I don't believe that. But can I just share that when you're in a covenant, when it comes to unwarranted, unsubstantiated, critical attacks on the ministry, on the pastors, on the church, there's no neutral. I'm just telling you, there's no neutral. I just use our marriage relationship. I mean, and, and, and let's just take us out of the context of what we do here as, as pastors. But let's just say we're out in the world somewhere and someone goes after my wife. I'm here to tell you, I stand with her. She's going to have to, they're going to have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt and probably farther that, that if there's something being said, that it is true. Because you know what? I've lived with this woman for 28, coming on 29 years. I've dated her about a year and a half before that. Been around her a long time. And, and, and I know her fairly well. And I'm just telling you, when, when crisis hits in this relationship, I'm not, I'm not just saying, well, you, you deal with it. I'm with her. You've got to understand that when you're in covenant and in a relationship, there is no neutral. In fact, neutral is really the word in the Bible, slothful. Many people think slothful means lazy, but that's not really true. Slothful isn't lazy, although it may mean you just won't get up and go, but, but it really means neutral. It means too weak to choose. See, if you're a leader and, and you just want to be neutral, especially in a church fuss, then you're just too weak to choose. That's what slothful means. See, covenant loyalty is a powerful thing. It doesn't mean you, you meddle in other people's affairs, but it does mean that your support is clear. Let me give you an example. I'll just, this example happens on a, well, maybe not anymore, but it has through the years on a regular basis. Is it somebody who we would define maybe as leadership? I would hope this would transmit even down to those who are in membership. But maybe they're sitting at a lunch table or a dinner table or something, and all of a sudden somebody pops out and says they've got an offense. And I'll just use me. They've got an offense against me, and they start going after me. And as you're sitting there at that table and you're interacting with them, you've got a couple choices. You can either be too weak to choose, or you can fall back to where your covenant relationship is. And you can say something to the effect of, well, I'm sorry you have an offense or, an abeef, or, or a beef with pastor, but my experience tells me this. He knows what he's doing. I've had people through the years that would say, well, you know, I, didn't want, I just didn't want to alienate them. I don't need that. If you don't want to alienate them, go be with them. What I need is someone who will stand with me in a battle, who will stand with me in a crisis, who will set the temperature, who will fight for the ministry. Who will stand when it's important to stand. It is amazing what happens when we decide to set the temperature. When, when someone comes, and a lot of time, and it doesn't happen very much anymore. Praise God. Can I just thank you for that? Because it really doesn't happen much anymore, does it, honey? It just, but there have been years when people will come and they'll have this and that. And, and finally I'll say, you know, God is good. He's still on the throne. We're doing great things. Did you see how many people got saved? Did you see this and that? And you just watch them suddenly change their disposition. And they'll go, well, yeah, well, you're right. Well, of course. 
Don't let people who are easily swayed sway you. You'll not be neutral when a crisis hits. If we reach out to people that for whatever reason have fallen away, we love them, we care for them, but, but we're not neutral in these things. I'm not neutral with my wife. I'll be honest with you. I've had people come to me about some of you. You say, really? Yeah. What'd you do? Well, obviously I didn't hang you out to dry, did I? See, it's a two-way street. In fact, you'd want, you'd, you'd want me, before I made a decision, probably to visit with you, wouldn't you? I know you would. See, that, I'm just teaching this because nobody teaches this stuff. So we've, gotta, we've got to understand when crisis hits, there's no neutrality. Can I just say this? If we're preaching the gospel... And if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. Now, I'm not talking like I've lost my mind or I've done something crazy. I'm not, okay. I'm talking about, he's just, he's, 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 his character's in order. Everything's in order in his life. But if you're preaching the gospel and you're touching people's lives, and this has happened before. I've looked people in the eye before and they've been living together. And I've told them, I said, you guys need to get married. Living together is not God's will. And they've gotten upset. And screamed and cried and made a scene. And I've even had leaders decide when that crisis hit, they were going to either be neutral or they were going to think I was the big bad pastor. I don't need that. Because if that's where you're at, then obviously you think living together is right. No, they'd say, well, no, 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 no. I don't think living together is right. I just think we should have waited. Well, how long do we wait? We waited now uh, a year trying to let the Holy Ghost have his way, I decided I was going to be moved by the Holy Ghost and help them a little bit. All right, number two. Not be neutral. Number two. A loyal person will fully trust the person they're loyal to. Now, I've visited with this again. I can understand how people who come to church may need time to work through their trust issues. Is, there's no one here that has been in church life more than 30 days that hadn't been burned. Okay, I've been burned too. I've been burned by those over me. I've been burned by those under me. We've all been burned. So if you've been a Christian for a number of years, I'm quite sure you probably had a pastor or a church experience that was distasteful. Okay, I understand. I understand that you have trust issues. I got it. I got it. But if you aspire to be a leader, I'm going to share this with you. If you aspire to be a leader, then your trust issues are going to get fixed. You see, they have to be settled. You see, trust is a two-way street. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not sure I can trust you. It's really not about you. It's about my background and my past. And, you know, I'm just having trouble. So you're just going to have to deal with me and work with me and my trust issues. And for years, I would run around trying to figure out how to get them to trust me. I'd say to myself, they've got trust issues, so what can I do to help them get over their trust issues? And, and, and so I would try my best. And you know, they love that. They love me jumping, trying to get their trust issues figured out. Until I figured out one day that basically all they wanted to do was control. And trust was their inability to get healed and move forward. And so what I've decided now is this. I have spent years. Now really, this is truth. I spent years... Listening to people say, I've got trust issues with pastors. I've done this for years to where I have decided now I'm going to let people deal with my trust issues. Amen. Amen. My wife's saying smile. I am. Smile. See, but that is the truth. 
You want to trust me and I want to trust you. And, and, and to be in covenant, we've got we've to trust. That doesn't happen overnight. Now, I understand that. that there, there's long, that's why it takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Trust issues didn't happen in your marriage instantly. That's why you probably dated for a while or you courted or whatever it is you, you did in order to build up these trust things. And, and so all of us have to do that. But, but loyalty means you fully trust the person you're loyal to. Number three, you, you'll stand with them on your worst day. Like so many biblical concepts, you never know you have it until it gets tested. I, I laugh and I said this. I was on Ask a Pastor the other night and a question came across about, you know, obedience and submission and all these sorts of things. And there was an anointing that hit me on Channel 18. And, and because this is just because everybody submitted until you say no. But can I just share this with you? That's the moment you really find out what's in your heart. Well, loyalty is the same way. You can say you're loyal, but the first time you find out whether you're loyal, I'm sorry, in, in a relationship is when a man may come to you and start sweet-talking you to woo you, or when a pretty thing comes walking by me and tries to seduce me. Then you find out whether you're loyal or not. Are you following me? Loyalty is a concept until it gets tested. And once it gets tested, that's when it be, is established. Jesus learned a lot, did he not, about his disciples when he was praying in Gethsemane? Didn't Jesus learn? He learned a lot that day about who could stay awake, who could pray, who would stand with him. I'm sure he learned a lot at the cross as well. So there's going to be tests and there's going to be bad days. And can I just share this? If you get up close to me or to Trace, I'll, I'll be, I'm sure I'll just prophesy, yea, saith the Lord, you will see his bad days. See, that's the Lord, a word from the Lord. You're going to see me not at my best. You're going to see me say something terse. Just ask Laura. Laura gets, she gets emails from me all the time, man. It just, I'm sure, I'm sure she looks at it and she goes, oh, boy, that, that could have been, that could have been typed better. I'm sure she says, I, I, I've sent them before saying, ah, I probably should have typed that better, I guess. I, I mean, you understand, but, 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 but loyalty isn't when pastor types it right. You understand loyalty isn't just when when she's smiling and saying all these smooth things. That's not just when loyalty exists. Loyalty exists on your worst day. I got to hurry, hurry, hurry. Run, run, run. Number four is unwilling. Loyalty means you're unwilling to betray your trust to uncover what I call clay feet. Um, now, obviously, if there's egregious character flaws, nobody's asking you for a cover up. And there's been a lot of cover up in the body of Christ. And if there's egregious sin issues, Obviously, those things need to be brought to the surface and confronted. And, and we're going to deal with the Matthew 18 stuff and all that a little bit later. But, you know, there's just a lot of clay, what I call clay feet issues. Now, let me just share this with you, because the hardest thing I have found for me through the years about betrayal is this, that there are certain people in church life. And, you just, and, and this is a part of it. I'm not, you know, I'm not mad. It can't be changed. It's just the way it shakes. But you pull people in closer to your world. A lot of people, a lot of people get frustrated with pastors because they say they seem so aloof. They seem so distant. I can't get close to them. Well, can I tell you why? 
because you, you, you pull people into your world. You want to have a relationship. You want to be able to share. You want to be able to hang out. You want to go play putt-putt. You want to bring them over to the house. You want to laugh. You want to do all these kinds of things. And what happens is, especially when you're with leaders, is, is that there will be moments in church life that you're going to have to have confidential talks about the ministry, about people issues, about problems. There's going to be thinking out loud. There's going to be analyzing character. There's going to be trying to understand where they're coming from. There's going to be times you're aggravated. There's going to be sensitive things that have to be reviewed and considered. And it's interesting that, that they're brought into this circle, but then for whatever reason, oftentimes through offense, they'll get mad. And when they get mad, then they want to uncover all of that. Well, I was in a meeting and I remember what pastor said. You wouldn't have seen it if you weren't trusted enough to be brought in. Do you understand what trust it takes to just get frustrated in front of somebody? To be exasperated, not at your best? And then to have somebody see that and go out because, because they've got a chip that they can impress someone else with. Oh, yeah, I was with the pastor and he just he told me all these things. And a lot of times it's just wanting to look like a big shot. He's unwilling to betray your trust and uncover your clay feet. There are things if if if, if you come into leadership, there are things you're going to know that because you've been tapped, we believe you have the capacity to carry. But not everybody has the capacity to carry those things. All right. Number five. Will refuse, I think loyalty refuses to entertain, or they will extinguish any unfounded criticism. They'll refuse to entertain it or extinguish any unfounded criticism. I have found that the political world is far more loyal to each other than the body of Christ is. And I'm sure that's oftentimes based on position and power and money for politics. However, we need to be reminded there was a reason Paul said, and this is what he said, to not receive an accusation unless there are two or three witnesses. Now, that's called eyewitnesses, not, not, not gossip hearers. Have verified it. Otherwise, it's not to be entertained. I'd also ask yourself this question. If, and, and, and you'll get tested. Whenever you get into leadership, I always believe that, that nobody knows this. It happens to the staff all the time. If you ever get hired on staff, I can assure you this would happen, is that people, and they don't realize they're doing it, but they'll always take you out for a ride. What I mean by that is they're going to see what they can, they can get out of you. They're going to see what they can gig you with. They're going to see what they can get away with. That's just the nature of people. And they're, and they're going to test their limits. And so understand, all, all of you, if, if, if you come to the place where you give oversight or, like I said, leadership, you know, you're going you're gonna to hear people have complaints and concerns and, and this and that and all the rest. And, and some of that is important because sometimes people have a legitimate point to be made. And we have tried, we have genuinely tried when that comes to be able to sift through the junk and to keep what's legitimate. I will tell you this, if you give me like 14 junk things with one legitimate thing, that's hard. So, so, so please, if it's, if it's important, then obviously it needs to be communicated, but this is what you need to ask yourself after a time. And, and the test ride has happened. If all you get are people coming to you that want to yeah, yeah to you, I, I would ask myself the question, what is there about me that solicits people that they, that they feel at ease so often to tell me all this stuff they don't like. Isn't that important? 
Well, what I mean is, is that if, if, if around you all the time are complainers and whiners and people who are, who are chronically griping about what this and that is, I mean, after a while, you need to look and say, hey, you know what? I am not your personal garbage disposal. I'm not your trash can. If you've got a beef, go see the man. I mean, I'll talk to you. You know why they won't talk to me a lot of times? It, it, well, it's because I'll go through the list. Okay, well, t- is that true? Well, let's see if it's true. I'm not mean. I know you're, you're like, Kevin, don't be mean right now. Okay. I'm not mean. No, really. I'm full of the love of God right now. Yeah, yeah, Ed, real quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a good one, too. Thank you. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of people saying, well, what does that mean? Does that mean you and one other? Is that a lot? Give me their names. I do that, too. I said, well, give me their names then. Well, I, they, don't, they don't want me to share. Well, then don't tell me. Because if you don't have enough courage to put your name on it, then don't gripe about it. Amen. Come on, I'll tell you what I don't like, and my name's Kevin Baird. Really, I, I, really, if I don't like it, I'll come see you and I'll tell you. Come on now, if, don't, don't say, you know, I've, I'm going to have a sermon about this one, though, about folks that come, I have, I, I have this concern, but don't tell them that it was me. <laughs> well, what am I going to do with it? This, the Holy Ghost came to me, this ghost in the night came to me and just whispered him, come on now, don't entertain that stuff. That's you know, don't entertain it. I'm talking to those that are aspiring to maturity. Amen. If I don't teach it, who's gone to? Number six, does not waver when there is a season of challenge. Does not waver when there's a season of challenge. David and his mighty men, they were unwavering individuals. In fact, there's a lesson. I don't know if I do it in this, but I talk about the difference between a reed. Remember when Jesus spoke of John the Baptist? He said he was no reed that would blow in the wind. There's a difference between being a reed and being a pillar. And we want pillar people. Those you can build on. You can't waver when there's a season of challenge. You can't waver when, when the battle happens. I didn't get to the point, but if, 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 if you're preaching the gospel and, and you, you cause a, an offense, do you understand that the world, there's coming a day, I'm, I'm telling you, there's going to come a day that the world isn't going to like us, not because we've done something wrong, but because we're preaching the truth. And, 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 when, and when the news papers or the TV news shows up with their cameras going because you declared that homosexuality was wrong and, and they're, they're starting to put the heat on the ministry or something like that because you spoke the truth. Here's the question. Are you going to be the one that's going to be the reed or will you stand? Now, I need people who will stand. They stick a microphone in your face as you're coming into church one day and they're saying, what do you think about your pastor? Because he stood up and he said that Islam was a demonic spirit that is deceiving people. And he said, homosexuals were deceived as well. And what do you think about your pastor? Uh, I won't be involved. I'm going to be neutral. Yeah. See, that's when it counts at that particular moment. That's when it counts. Then number seven, realizing that to be loyal to someone means redefining other relationships. Now, I'm going to give you, and I'm ending with this, and I'm done. I know I took a little extra. Sorry. As a single man, and my wife being a single woman 29-plus years ago, our, we could have relationships. She could have relationships with other men. I could have relationships with other women. When I say relationship, I mean upright, righteous interactions. I'm, I, you know, I mean, I mean, we could have certain relationships, and that was totally in order. But the minute we were married, and the minute we made covenant, Everybody realizes in this room that all of my relationship with every other woman changed at that moment, right? 
It changed. And every relationship with every other man for her changed at that moment. See, that's part of our problem in today's society. We think we can still go ahead and have, well, we can have these, as men, we can have these girls who can still remain our best friends. No, as soon as you get married, that girl's gone. That girl's gone. It redefines that relationship. You can't go get, get lunch with her. You can't ride around with her. You can't share your innermost thoughts. I don't care if you went to high school with her. I don't matter. It just redefined your relationship. Facebook, yeah, that's good. MySpace, yeah, we're up in the tree now. We're preaching now. <laughs> even with, even with, with the boys, you can go out with the boys on occasion and have fun, but do you know, I, you know, I love to, I dearly love to play golf and I'm setting up a schedule to go play golf. But you know what, before I, but I was talking to the person who I'm going to go play golf with and I told him, I said, I, I believe it's going to be fine. Let me check in and make sure that the schedule's going to work out. I need to talk with my wife and make sure we can do that. And I get right back to you and I called you up and I, and we talked about that. And you know what? That's not being whooped. It's called being considerate. And I would hope she would do the same for me, and I think she does. When she goes play, yeah, that doesn't happen often. But you understand, it redefines all my relationships. Can I just say this? That, that, that as, as, and, and we'll talk more about this. That's why we can't teach it all in one night. But, but as you move and aspire into visibility and influence and leadership, it's not that you can't love other people. It's not that you can't reach out to other people. It's not that you can't have friends. I mean, we're not saying that, that it has to be. But, but you understand your, your relationships begin to be redefined. And I'll put it to you this way. Why, why would I trust you if you want to hang out with people who are my enemies? Think about that for a minute. Think about it from my, from my viewpoint. Someone has betrayed me. Somebody, somebody has taken advantage of me, let's say, and, 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 and has wounded and hurt me. But you're going to be neutral and you're going to maintain your friendship and it doesn't redefine anything. Then can I ask you why? Just think, think about that for just a minute. If, if you, let's say you were divorced and, and you remarried someone else and it's all in order and you're going along and you looked and you said, and you had someone who was your best, said they were your best friend, but, but they were going to sit there and tell you everything about your ex and what he was doing or she was doing. And just, what would that do to you? See, see, it, we got to redefine our, it redefines my relationships. I've often, I've often said this, that, that. Uh, if, 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 if you were burned or betrayed uh, by somebody and all of a sudden I struck up this big, and we're talking about leadership now, and, and I struck up this big friendship, I mean, you would, you, it would probably aggravate you just a little bit. So, so we've got to ask ourselves the question that, uh, you know, what does loyalty mean? No one really knew who Judas was until the heat was put on his, the, the ministry. His words were right, but his heart was not. So I put down a checklist here and we're done. Am I loyal to my God and Christ my King? And I'll put down in here and hopefully you wrote them down. Can I be loyal to the other covenant relationships that God has put in my life that are in order and prioritized rightly? But now we're dealing with leadership and aspirations and things that are happening here. Can I be or am I loyal to this ministry and the pastors as we work together for the kingdom of God? And can I tell you, there may be a day that you feel like it's time to go. And I understand that. But even that can be done in a way that honors God. And you can honor the work and we can honor you. There are people who we've not sent. They just went.
But you know because you see it with your own eyes. There are others that we have brought up here and we have laid hands on them. And we have blessed them. That doesn't mean they were disloyal. It means they just walked it out well and right. And we, we, we get that too. All right? Amen. Yeah, and, and I believe Maria, Maria gave you an article to read. That's actually just some background information for next week when we get to that. Uh, our lesson next week, I think, is the, the, the triangle. So some of you have heard the lesson of the triangle, and, and it's an interesting lesson. So we will get into that next week. Amen. Thank you for your patience. Stand with me, will you please? Hey, if you have questions and things, sometimes I have extra time and we'll take opportunity to field those. But if you do have questions, you always have the email. Um, and you can drop me an email and let me let me think about it. Sometimes it's even better if I can think about it than just do it off the cuff. But again, we appreciate you and appreciate you being here. We love you. We love the season. It's a good season. And we're sowing in you principles that will endure, I believe, the rest of your life. So, Father, I thank you for these people. Many of them, Lord, in here tonight are uh, defined influencers and leaders. And Lord, we thank you for their lives. We thank you for the commitments. We thank you for all the demonstrations and challenges that, that has happened and they have come through true blue. And Lord, we've appreciated that. We've appreciated people who have stood with us in the ministry and they've stood with us in times of testing and turmoil and, and when adverse winds were blowing. So Lord, I, I, I bless them and I thank them and I pray that you would multiply, Lord, their demonstrations of loyalty back to them in amazing ways so that they would be enlarged and increased. And I pray for those, Lord, that are here, that are learning and they're going through this class. I know there are some here because they just like to be in church on Wednesday night. And, and Lord, I believe that though we were talking about what it takes to, to, to exercise influence and leadership in a church, Lord, I believe I've made some points and Spirit of God, you've drilled them home in other areas of our life that are so very important. So, Lord, I pray right now that you'd seal it, cause us to consider it deeply. And, Lord, most of all, may it be more than theory, but can we step into it and demonstrate it in such a way that we would be pleasing to you. Lord, thanks a lot. In Jesus' name, amen.